Hello, and welcome back to the second installment in Pedra's Atopic Dermatitis in Children series. In today's episode, you'll hear the patient perspective from patient advocates representing global parents for eczema research and the National Eczema Association. This podcast will be paired with a live town hall webinar on January 5th, 2021 at 5.15 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Stay tuned after this episode for more information. Welcome everyone and thank you for joining the Pediatric Dermatology Research Alliance PEDRA podcast where we're meeting tonight with patient advocates to discuss how providers can give better patient care to patients with atopic dermatitis. My name is Dawn Davis and I'm a pediatric dermatologist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And it's my privilege to introduce our two guests today who are patient advocacy champions. First is Ms. Sarah Pry, who hails from Tennessee, and she is a patient and parent advocate and volunteer for the Global Parents for Eczema Research Initiative and Alliance. And she's also a member of the PEDRA Patient Advisory Committee. And hailing from California is our guest, Ms. Charlene Machano, who is a volunteer for the National Eczema Association and also serves as a member of PEDRA's Patient Advisory Committee. Sarah, would you like to say hello? Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> and Charlene, you want to say hi? Hello. Hi. Happy to be here. Thank you for having Thanks. me. Thanks for joining us. So we've got East Coast, Midwest, and West Coast represented. <laughs> so as providers, we tried to think of questions and considerations that we have so that we can learn from you as experts on the patient side, how we can give better patient care so that we make sure that all episodes of care are optimized. So if you don't mind, we'll start with a question. What topics of discussion or subjects when you're in the office do you wish that your provider would discuss with you when it comes to caring for your eczema? Sarah, you wanna start us off? I, I can. Um, honestly, I, I like it when we talk about more options than just the standard textbook options like steroids, um, going into a lot of detail about side effects of eczema in general, because it's not just the skin part, there's coping with sleep deprivation. And um, my son also has the trifecta. He has asthma and food allergies and it all kind of comes together and he's 12 now so we also have a mental burden going on him he's very subconscious at school and doesn't want to wear short sleeve shirts it's it's just a lot more than just going in there and being like okay well let's heal up what's on the skin and make it look good and not deal with anything else that's that's not really what i go for <laughs> i like it all <laughs> yeah that makes sense um as a mom with your mom hat on, do you feel that his 12-year-old behavior regarding his eczema and his other atopic diseases is part of his adolescent rebellion phase, or do you think that it's more impactful um, beyond that? I Well, it's, it's kind of complicated with him because it's um, when he feels good, he's a normal little smart mouth like most 12-year-old boys. <laughs> That's good. Um, but, it's a healthy sign. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think preteen age is um, already a pretty awkward age, and then you add something like this that makes you even more self-conscious, and uh, it doesn't do much for the self-esteem, I don't believe. So I, I think that it's, it's definitely impacting his 
what would be considered normal adolescent behavior for his age. Sure. And do you talk with your provider about bullying and how things are going with regards to self-esteem and the school environment? <laughs> we, we do. I talk to them about all of it and I talk to the school about it. He's actually having issues right now to where um, his self-esteem is so low, he doesn't really want to be in class. He actually asked to go to uh, lunch. They call it lunch detention because he gets behind in his work. He doesn't want to do anything in class. So it's we're, we're going back and forth with it. We're working on it. But is, this year has been one of his hardest years, even though his skin itself is actually healing. The doctors are very happy with his new medications. And, um, and yet we're, we're dealing with more than just his skin. Well, you have my empathy, and I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Charlene, what do you think about topics that providers should make sure that we talk about beyond the t typical eczema questions? Um, well, in terms of typical eczema questions, I'll just talk in, about that a little bit, just because that's what I have written down. Um, because I really want to know exactly what my prescriptions and treatments are doing in terms of like how exactly it's affecting the skin. Because sometimes I feel like when I'm prescribed these medications, I'm applying it and then the solution is just like, it'll go away. It'll, this cream will just get rid of, of the symptoms, but I'm at a loss as like what exactly is going on. I think, um, since I'm a biology student as well, I'd like to learn more about what exactly is happening because then I feel like if I have more of that knowledge, I'd be able to better manage my skin. Like I'd be more conscious of what exactly I'm doing. It sounds like if you made the provider aware of your education level and interest that would allow them to speak more at your level and help with compliance. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of like the different treatments that are out there, I remember I didn't really know what the difference is between moisturizers and ointments and creams. I feel like if there was some kind of handbook, I feel like that's a lot to ask, but there may be some kind of pamphlet that would just give me tips of maybe I should wash with cold water or um, avoid certain detergents or dyes or fragrances. I feel like they tell you this haphazardly, but it's not in a collected resource, I feel. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you today was, is it helpful to have access when you visit your provider to such educational resources on eczema, like patient videos that are either online or that you take home in a DVD, educational pamphlets, websites to direct um, yourself to for additional learning, or do you feel that that's simply overwhelming? What are your thoughts on that, Charlene? I feel like having at least one website, I feel like if you give someone a list of these are all the different things that you could go to, that could be overwhelming. But um, having the National Eczema Association as like, for me, that seems like the big go-to source. I think just having that is really helpful. Um, I know a lot of people tend to go online and look for alternative therapies or maybe they go online and look at forums to see other people's perspectives. But I think having this for sure credible source is really important to have. To Are there one or two things on the NEA website that you find to be most helpful? 
of course the whole website is fabulous but do you have any favorite tabs um not that i can remember off the top of my head but i know that they have like those fact sheets like eczema 101 like um a list of treatments that you can do um they do also have articles of different patient perspectives which i appreciate a lot so i think that's really nice to have like an official statement from people yeah, absolutely. Sarah, what are your thoughts on the balance of educational materials and what type and how much? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm a part of um, an organization that does a lot of research and everything, and I, I really love keeping up with it. Um, we, we've been through so many providers with Aiden since he was a baby because his stuff really started at three months and then six months is when it went full-blown. and. Um, not many were able to tell us a whole lot except that this was average and he might grow out of it. So over the years, I've found that my keeping up with research and trying to talk to other people, um, like at the expos and the PEDRA meetings and, um, and all of that, it is extremely helpful. Um, not all the providers we've been to were very helpful with trying to provide that information but I found the NEA partly from Googling, and then um, that's what got me to where I am right now. And um, if it wasn't for them being able to connect me with so many people with so much research, I don't believe Aiden would be on the medications he is right now because it was me that asked my doctors about it. Um, I asked about the compound ointment that he is currently on, and we worked a lot together, and it was all because actually did more to um, kind of like accept responsibility on my behalf as well to bring it to their attention but finding someone that would actually work with us instead of just you know well don't worry about this you know this is really what's the most common um, and better way to go them listening helped a lot but I think the research and looking for your stuff you just have to make sure not to get overwhelmed because there's so much information out there you have to really look in the right places and thankfully I have so I'm very grateful for that. Well you're a prime really example important. of being an advocate for sure. <laughs> well thank you. I'm, you know I have a lot to uh, to fight for for Ain's behalf so we want a good life and I want him to have a good life. Do you have anything specific on the NEA website that you find to be most helpful that's enough information and not overwhelming? I uh, it just depends on the day and what I'm looking for. Um, sometimes I'm, if I'm looking for a shampoo or something, um, I go to the products that they recommend. Um, if I'm needing to provide something to the school, I'm going to their helpful school tools. Um, if I'm looking and curious about any new medications that might be coming out soon on the FDA's site, instead of going and trying to dig through their stuff, I go to the NEA. Um, you know, or um, any of the other places, Pedra has some stuff on their site, and so, and then of course, I'm keeping up with the girls, Corey and and um, and Carrie with the uh, grouper, and we just, you know, I look everywhere, it just depends on what I'm looking for that day and what I need. So, is there a role for social media, or did you find any sort of connections through social media, or do you find that to be kind of overwhelming and um? I don't want to say noise and be disrespectful, but is it more burdensome than helpful? I, I think noise is a good way of putting that in the most gentle way possible. I think that's a good, because I am a part of 
some groups, but I end up snoozing them sometimes because some people will come out there and they'll have the most off-the-wall things that have no bearing to anything medical at all. They're like, you just need to do this. And I'm thinking you can't tell someone to do one thing. Everyone's different. Um, so social media is good if you have the right group talking in it, you know, and it doesn't get overwhelming because I before you know it on one of those things you want to go comment and help somebody but they've already got like 100 comments so you know it's it's not um at that point I don't feel like I'm very helpful just becoming another part of the comment source yeah dilution is very prominent on social media <laughs> Charlene what are your thoughts on social media and is it impactful or helpful to you adding on to that um I don't know if any of you are familiar with the website reddit but I did come across a subreddit that talks about eczema and um, some people go and leave their comments on how they've improved their eczema. But then at some time, sometimes people leave rants about how their eczema is doing so poorly. And so I feel like social media amplifies both sides of the spectrum. So maybe people are having a really good time managing their eczema or they're doing very poorly. And I feel like social media tends to exaggerate those things. And I also see that in terms of, from what I've seen on Instagram, I'm not very active on Instagram, but I do see a lot of people promoting like eczema products, like DIY products and uh, like nutrition, diet, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, I think it's helpful, but at the same time, I also understand where um, Sarah's coming from in terms of noise. I could definitely see that as a thing too. Yeah. Well, I'm just feeling cool because I know both about Instagram and Reddit. So you're making me feel like I'm fairly trendy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very trendy. I'm, I'm a college student, but I don't participate in social media as much. Well, when it comes to clinic visits, what can providers do to make sure that we are maximizing your time to make it worthwhile and successful for you? Because as a patient and or parent, you're taking time away from your usual activities and day and spending effort and monies. Um, how can we make sure that you get the most out of every visit? You want to take that first, Charlene? Um, I actually haven't been to a provider in a very long time. So I did have trouble <laughs> answering this question. Um, I was thinking that it'd be great if my provider could kind of assess how my skin is going like from, I don't know, it's kind of hard because um, I haven't been to the dermatologist in years. So then they would probably be like, well, your skin has changed over this time. Maybe we could have this kind of treatment for you. So I don't know. Um, I feel like I, if there was the option to explore different treatments, because when I did go to the dermatologist, I feel like they tended to offer me the same treatments like Triamcinolone or um, Eladel. I feel like if there was more variety in terms of the treatments that I could be offered, that would be more helpful. Did you ever find times in your care where your treatment um, stopped working and you needed to go to the dermatologist so that you could change regimens? Or did you find that you were um, empowered enough as a patient that you could make suggestions through primary care? Or how did you go about changing regimens over time? Um, I feel like I 
took my prescriptions on and off. I had a compound treatment that I was using for a while, but then I kind of weaned off on it. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure how it <laughs> yeah, really no problem. Mm -hmm. Sarah, with regards to advocating for Aiden, especially because he has other atopic diseases, how can we be most effective as providers to make sure that your time is um, not wasted? Um, I, I've really found, we have two providers right now. We go to the allergist and um, a, another dermatologist as well uh, in the same area. I drive two hours away in order for us to find providers that work for us. That's how much fun we've had. Um, <laughs> what, I've, what I've found the, the best is, is that when I can go to them and they can just like treat us as we are all just one unit, one team, it's, it's about making us feel better as a whole. Um, and some things they won't do, like uh, the mental part, my son has the, the bad anxiety now. Um, they don't do the antidepressants, but they can recommend things that won't interact with his current drugs. Um, I like the fact that they can think outside the box. And that's, that's why I go to them because they will listen to me about things that I have read. Um, they'll explain to me why this isn't good for Aiden or why it would actually be a good idea to eventually go that route. Um, I think it's just, I, I agree with Charlene. I think there should be more options because when he was a baby and I kept taking him back um, because eventually it's like his little body would acclimate and, and get used to the low level of steroids. And I would call them, I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is not working. And they're like, well, we're going to bump it up to a 0.2% or something. And I'm like, but we're already doing that. And they're saying, well, this is stronger. And I'm thinking, well, I, I don't want to load my baby down. And there's skin thinning. There's, um, you know, because I started researching back then and there wasn't as many resources back then because he's 12. <laughs> so um, what I'm reading back in the past is all these horrible side effects of growing up and being on the steroids for his entire life. So at one point for about a year, we stopped it and we just fought it the best we could. Um, but I like being fully informed and and if I they think I'm not fully informed if they can be blunt with me that's great just not in a condescending manner um but thinking outside the box is the biggest part in 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 my deal and, and not treating me like I'm I'm uh, a yeah, helicopter mom <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> you know, it, it, whether I am or not is not the point <laughs> right it's, it's about not I feel like I'm a helicopter mom just because I have 20 questions so um it's, it's just really important to me to feel like we're all on the same unit as a team to get my son the best optimal care um, and thinking outside the box. If they can't do it, then tell me, you know, who they recommend that can do said and such, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I like having full-on discussions, not just like, here's a script and there you go. That's, that's sure. my, my thing right there. Well, as a fellow mom, I like to say that I get to choose when I'm the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So when you ladies think about treatment options or they're um, listed to you or provided to you at the visit, doing option A versus B versus C, et cetera, what are the biggest factors in which one you choose? Um, Sarah, you wanna give that a, sh a shot? When you're given options and a grocery list of what to choose from, it probably sounds very overwhelming. Are there certain things that you consider more than others? Oh, God. Yeah. Um, when we first uh, went to Vanderbilt and we found our, our current allergist and provider, um, they said, <laughs> we're going to give you this immune suppressant 
and she said, do not look it up. The side effects will intimidate you. Um, but I've managed so many patients under it, and we are looking at quality of life. And so um, I have not forgotten that. She spoke true words. We are looking at quality of life. My son is very severe. Uh, I did eventually look up the side effects. <laughs> um, and uh, cyclosporin is, is one of those drugs that we are finally starting to wean off of. I've, you know, prayed that we hadn't had to, I've, I've been very careful over the years to not overdo it. And they're like, well, let's take it up just one pill. And I'm thinking, okay, we're taking up one pill, but we're not doing any more than that. Um, but he's, he's had a lot of luck on it until now. And we're now we're on a new medication and he's weaning off of it. Now it's more like side effects. And over the years, they're coming out with more options. So now it's, now it's basically quality of life versus side effects. Um, that's why, I mean, I'm not against steroids. I don't want anyone to think that I'm totally against them. Right now, his compound ointment does have a little bit of steroid. It's a low grade and um, it, it does help. Um, but the long-term goal is to get him to where he's not dependent on so much stuff that will do him so much harm in the long term. I want him to have a full, healthy life. So quality of life versus side effects. And um, that's, that's what we live by. And Charlene, how about for you? Yeah, definitely. The quality of life is something that I would put first because really at the end of the day, you go to the doctors to get something that works for you, right? So that, that's really the most important thing to me. And then I think a second factor would be cost because, I mean, my parents would spend money to buy these prescriptions, but then now when I purchase them, I never realized how much it costs for like a tub of Aquaphor, <laughs> like any of these compound prescriptions. <laughs> it really adds up. It sure does. And as a dermatologist, yeah, I, you know, we can spend endless amounts of money in medical care. And so we try to be conscientious about cost. And as a dermatologist, I often think about the palatability or how a medicine feels on the skin. And sometimes, you know, certain medicines just don't feel as nice based on what your preference is personally. What, do you have any thoughts or advice to providers about, um, you know, describing how palatable or what something feels like to a patient and would you be willing to sacrifice a little bit of how it feels on your skin for better quality of life? Or would you rather have something that feels better on your skin but might not work as well? Because I think that's a factor that we think of as skin doctors, but maybe it's not as important to patients. I've never actually thought of that, actually. I think since most of the treatments that I got were usually the same type of prescription, a topical treatment, I never really thought about how it felt. I just thought, well, this is something that I need to apply in order for me to feel better. But that's a, that's a consideration that it's, it's pretty good. How about for you, Sarah? Do you think that has any, you know, bearing on his tolerance of the medicines? Uh, yeah, this, uh, my son is, is put complete gashes in his skin. So um, he hates how greasy ointments feel, but the ointments don't sting him like anything that's made into a cream. Like, I don't know what ingredient it is in creams, but we cannot do creams. He, he'd rather have the ointment because it's not going to hurt him as bad in the long run because he's, he feels like he has a bunch of um, paper cuts all over his skin. So um, the pain tolerance for him is, is not too good. So, yeah. And you prefer ointments. And how about bathing techniques that help with that? Because a lot of patients complain about the razor cut feeling when they go to bathe. And of course, we want 
all adolescents <laughs> to be bathing. <laughs> um, we actually, we, we've had to stay at the hospital for a few days at a time when he got really severe. Um, their advice was, and it, and it helps a little bit, it just depends. Um, his, his thing is, is we will put a little bit of aquaphor or a little bit of a, um, just straight up ointment on him before he gets in the shower over his worst areas and that helps it doesn't stop it completely, but it does help keep it from hurting as much when the water hits it. It's almost like a barrier a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, um, but that way he can still wash without it hurting as bad. Yeah. And Charlene, do you have any tips for the uncomfortable bathing or uncomfortable application when your skin is raw? Um, I think sometimes if it is really bad, I actually wait a day to shower because then it gets my skin a little bit time to heal. And then by the next day, it feels a bit better. And are you still able to moisturize during the day off of bathing or does it still hurt as much on um, that day? It doesn't hurt as much. I think when I do apply moisturizer, it does feel very stingy when I do apply moisturizer. So then I'd have to reapply sometimes in the middle of the day. But it's definitely better if I do delay showering sometimes makes sense. Thank you. So what are the largest barriers to getting the best care for your eczema? Um, as a patient, what do you struggle with the most? Is it getting appointments? Is it getting the doctor to understand you? Is it filling prescriptions? Um, you know, we, the, the providers try our best to limit our, you know, to be frictionless as possible and make sure you can get a hold of us and things like that. But if you had to step zoom out and take a 10,000 foot view of just being a person or a parent of someone with eczema. Of all the factors that contribute to eczema, what are the most frustrating to you with regards to the healthcare episode as a whole? Mm. Sarah, you want to go first? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about that one. I, Eden's had good providers since he was uh, about four. So I, I don't have complaints in the last few years. They, if the doctor's not available, I talk to the nurse and they have good communication. But before that, um, I, I don't know. We felt like we were kind of like um, just on the factory wheel. You know, we were just being processed through. Um, there were communication problems. Um, just for a quick example, like they, we were trying to do allergy tests and they're like, well, he doesn't really have a clear patch on his skin. He was little. So <laughs> we're, we're not able to do the prick test. Um, so we did blood tests and everything. Well, uh, I can't recollect anyone actually telling me this, but the blood tests were not very accurate for Aiden because of his IgE levels and his response was so sensitive and his IgE levels so high that they weren't accurate. So here I am, I'm, I'm not giving my any, my kid anything pretty much, but um, you know, what we can find at the health food stores, he can't have grapes, he can't have this, he can't have that. And we go to Vanderbilt and they see the paperwork and they're like, this is not going to be very accurate. You need to do it this, let's get him cleared up and we'll have an accurate test. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. So <laughs> we went home celebrating because now we can have milk and grapes. So, uh, you know, I, I think communication is a big key, and, and that goes back to people not realizing that, you know, I, I can understand, I work with the public, but not everybody is going to have trouble understanding um, how things work, you know, when you try and explain things. Like, if, if they just told me, well, this is not going to be an accurate reading, um, you may want to, you know, 
try to maybe do a few more of these and more of that and less of this, you know, it, I, I don't know. We just had a real struggle with communication until we went there. So, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Most things in life come down to communication, it appears. <laughs> it, it does. I think it's important. <laughs> Charlene, what are your thoughts? What are the biggest frustrations as an eczema patient with regards to healthcare in general? Um, well, adding on to what Sarah said about the whole allergy to grapes and things, I remember when I was growing up, um, my parents just assumed that my itchiness came from food allergies. So then they just went through the list of typical food allergies, eggs, fish, um, seafood, um, even random things like <laughs> avocado or mango. Um, like they made me not eat those things because they thought that those would trigger my skin. And I think also um, when I was younger, they thought that I had hives. Maybe I did actually had hives, but then it turned out that I did have eczema. So um, I feel like there's a confusion between um, food allergies and eczema a lot of the time. I know that um, food allergies can trigger eczema. It depends on people, but people conflate the two a lot. And I feel like that's really a source of confusion. Um, yeah, it's gotta be so frustrating and it's very common for patients <laughs> to be put on elimination diets, well-intentioned, but unfortunately it just leads to frustration and loss of quality of life. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually went to the Philippines um, junior year of high school and uh, they suggested that I visit a doctor there that might give me a prescription for my skin. And they gave me a list of stuff that I shouldn't eat. They were like, don't eat chocolate, don't eat this, don't eat that. And it was, it was kind of a surreal experience. And then they prescribed me clobetasol too. And at the time, I didn't know that it was such a strong steroid. And I thought that they were just giving me this right out of the blue, like something so strong. And I feel <laughs> like that would definitely not be the case in the States. So it's yeah, very for certain type of treatment that you get in other countries as well. Yeah, for certain. Well, what other, what other things would you like to tell our community of dermatologists and allergists regarding eczema? What kind of message would you like to send to providers? Charlene, you want to go first? Mm, let's see. Final think, thoughts or pearls <laughs> of wisdom for us? I think when I do see the doctor, when they do see me, it's not necessarily representative of how my skin is generally. I think a lot of the times when I do go to the doctor, by the time I do see them, my skin's kind of cleared up already. So then it's kind of like a boy who cried wolf type of situation where it's like, are you really, is your skin really that bad? And I mean, sometimes it's fine. <laughs> sometimes I don't even think about it at all, but other times I'm like, like, it's the only thing that I could ever think about. And then it distracts me from like school and work and like all the things. And you never really think about how much that impacts your quality of life. And I think um, that's something that could be considered um, when providers are like giving us treatment or um, thinking about what they could do to help, um, help us help us out. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Patients have told me that frequently in clinic and say, well, you know, today just happens to be the best day I've had in X number of days or weeks or months. And then I say, well, too bad. You just can't schedule an appointment with me every day. I'd love to see you every day. And then you could just 
have the best day ever all the time. Yeah. yeah. I feel it's like it's kind of Murphy's law. I think that the skin <laughs> tends to clear when they know when, the, when it knows it's going to the doctor. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, I think now with the use of taking pictures, I really like taking pictures of my skin to see how well it's doing within the past year. And I think that gives me a more accurate uh, depiction of how my skin is doing. And I think also the new app that uh, NEA has put out has been really helpful too in tracking like my skin habits. Because before I would just write down, maybe my skin's feeling flaky one day or maybe I'm having rashes. So having a nice like tracker just to see how my progress is going is really helpful. Yes, I can say cell phones and their photos and tracking apps have definitely helped my patients and my practice and it's helped me be a better provider. So it's very helpful because then we're all speaking the same language instead of trying to play description. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sarah, what are your thoughts? Uh, final words of wisdom for the listeners. Oh gosh. Um, I'm, I'm more or less just enjoy like I said, with my current providers, I'm, I'm able to work with them as a team. So it's, it's just make sure they're, they're not feeling like they're on a factory mill and just running through the cycle and, and thinking outside the box. Um, because it's, for, for Aiden at least, it's, it's just more than just the skin area. And um, helping relieve his pain and giving him hope is a lot to do with everything. And I think if we can find more ways to to help patients not to give up right away because he does get very depressed sometimes um and this COVID thing has really had him depressed because he's been by himself a lot <laughs> um it's it's just important to to make sure you're listening and um I mean I, I can tell that everyone here that that we're talking to is probably more of the listening kind because <laughs> you're here um but I, I've, I've talked to doctors that don't listen um, for my own sake as well. I just recently had to switch doctors myself, but um, I really think it's important to listen and think outside the box and not just assume something um, and, and just paying attention. I don't know really how to say that any other way, but I'm sure you all get what I'm saying because you have patience. So there you go. That's, that's it. <laughs> that's wonderful pearls of wisdom. Thank you both, Charlene and Sarah, for your time, expertise, and wisdom this evening and for educating providers because we want to make sure that we serve and assist our patients as best we can. People go into medicine to help others. So thank you very much for offering your time tonight. And as we close tonight, I just want to remind everyone of the upcoming Pedra Town Hall that will be Tuesday evening, January 5th at 5.15 Pacific time, where we'll be speaking with administration from the National Eczema Association and the Global Parents for Eczema Research. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in on Tuesday, January 5th at 5.15 p.m. Pacific time for our live Patient Perspectives Town Hall with special guests, Wendy Smith Belgolka from the National Eczema Association and Corey Kaposa from Global Parents for Eczema Research. Register online at www.pedraresearch.org forward slash education. Special thanks to Dr. Don Davis, Sarah Pry, and Charlene Masciano for speaking with us. 
This podcast was supported by grant funding from Pfizer. Pedra podcasts are produced and edited by me, Jen Dawson, and Mike Siegel. Music is provided by Pixabay. Questions about Pedra? Email us at info at pedraresearch.org.